0: We're going to open up our Bibles now. Our reading this morning comes from the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Holly's going to lead us in that one.
1: Um, So we're reading from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead.
0: Thanks so much, Holly. Uh, Really good to keep your Bible open there at Philippians 3. Uh, we have, for the last uh, month and a bit, been making our way through this letter uh, that Paul wrote to the Philippian church, a church that he has, uh, holds very dearly in his heart, um, a church that he knows quite well, and uh, a church that he's writing to encourage. Uh, there are um, no uh, huge issues in this letter between Paul and the church. Uh, it really is a church to encourage them to keep going. And uh, we're up to this passage here this morning. Before we dive in, uh, let's pray together, shall we? Lord God, we thank you that we can now uh, sit under your word and have you speak uh, into our lives, into our hearts, through your word and by your spirit. Pray, Lord, that by your spirit you'd give us attentiveness uh, to what you are saying. Uh, Help us to understand your word, uh, but also, Lord, to know how to live it out. And we ask that this would result in glory and honor to Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, I wonder whether there uh, are things in life that you are really confident about, uh, things that you are really sure of. Uh, some of us might find that difficult. Uh, maybe there's not too much in life that we're sure about, not too much that we're confident in. Uh, some of us sort of struggle with that area of, of being confident. Some of us come across as very confident people, don't we? We, we come across very sure of, of what we believe or, or what we do, but maybe sometimes that, that covers a, a lack of confidence underneath. But I, I wonder what things you are confident in and about. What are you sure of? Uh, Geelong Cats fans uh, want to ask the question, uh, how confident were you in winning? Uh, the grand final or at what point along the journey did you say yeah we've got this one uh, in the bag uh, those of you who are preparing at the moment for uh, uni exams year 12 exams i wonder I wonder how confident you are going in with your preparation uh, are you confident that the marks that are going to come back are going to be the marks that you need how confident are we in our position financially Uh, How confident are you that you have the right money in the bank to see you through the right kind of job, the the, the right security uh, behind you? Well, our our passage this morning uh, actually talks a lot about confidence, Uh, but not confidence financially or in a sports team or in our abilities or the marks that we can get, but a very particular type of confidence. It's talking about the confidence that we can have before God and where that comes from. Now, in a sense, we're actually starting a new section uh, of this letter to the Philippians today. Uh, This letter where he's encouraging them and us to keep going in the faith. Uh, In the first part of the letter, he really uh, laid the groundwork, this pattern of the suffering road to glory. That there is a glory that awaits us when Jesus returns. There's the glory now of the spread of the gospel, but it's a suffering road to get there. It, it involves trial. It involves hardship. That was the way for Paul. It's the way, It was the way for Jesus. It was the way for the Philippian church. It's the way for us today as well. Then we had a look at his his call to us then to stand firm in the gospel for the sake of the gospel, shaped by the gospel. That as a church in the face of opposition, we are to be united in Christ. And we're to do that by the suffering road to glory, by the laying aside of our lives like Jesus did for us to serve one another. And now then, in verse 3, if you have a look, the first word there is the worst word, finally. Now, if you look at the book of Philippians, you might think, hang on, Paul writes finally, and he's really only halfway through uh, his letter. And see, what Paul has done here is he set a precedent for every preacher ever since to say finally and then carry on for as long as they want to go. He's kind of baptized that approach. And just, just kidding. It really, really what he is saying here is, is my next main point. He, he's really worked, worked moving on to his, his next or his, his final main point that he wants to make to them. And it's a section where he is addressing a false teaching and false teachers that have arisen and are threatening the Philippian church. And that false teaching is about where our confidence lies before God. How we can be certain that we are saved. And he's warning them and he's warning us to watch out for a false gospel. A good news that is actually not good news. A teaching that is not just a slight variation on the truth of the gospel, but is a different gospel altogether. You can tell this by the way that he refers to those who are teaching this. If you have a look at verse 2, he calls them dogs and evildoers and mutilators of the flesh. These are are strong words. This is something that he considers to be important for the church to be aware of and to be watch out for. And be clear on. Well, we might ask then, what is this false teaching that he's dealing with here? Well, he actually sets it up if you want to have a look at the verse, at the end of verse 3. I want to suggest he he makes a comparison there, where he says that we are those who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Really, he's summing up the two options that, that we have here. Is our confidence before God found in Christ Jesus? Or is that confidence found in the flesh, in our own works? You see, what's come up in the Philippian church, and it it appears in different places in the New Testament, is a group that has arisen within the church, and most probably from a Jewish background, who want to say yes to Jesus, He's important, but yes, also to my works and particularly to the act of circumcision as a gateway to the obedience to the whole Old Testament law. We can tell that by the way that he refers to them at the end of verse 2 as those who mutilate the flesh. That They want to insist that in order to be saved, you must be circumcised You must keep the whole Old Testament law. This group of people makes a really first appearance in about Acts 15, uh, where it says, they say, unless you are circumcised according to the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. It's a confidence in the flesh. It's, It's a what we can do, what we can bring to God that helps make us acceptable to him, a righteousness that comes by law. Now we might say, "Well, that that has very little bearing on my life today, on our church." I don't, I don't hear too many disagreements in our church over uh, around circumcision, or at least not in the circles that I move in. Uh, and fair enough. But I, I want to suggest that, in its own ways, this is still a struggle, and it, and it will be. A struggle with sin until Jesus comes again. Because right from the beginning, sin has had at its heart a desire to do away with God and to put myself at the center. It's a desire to say, I can do it and I can do it without God. I can rely on my works where I was born, the privileges that I have to be right with God. But over and against that, then Paul says, no, no, we are those who put no confidence in the flesh. We are those who glory in Christ Jesus. He is who we boast in. He's who we find our hope in. He's where our confidence before God lies. And so here are, in a sense, the the two confidences that we have on offer here. A confidence in the flesh, what we can do, or a confidence in Christ. It's a battle, actually, for the gospel. Not, not Not just the purity of the gospel, but the gospel itself. One that doesn't work is false confidence, is false security, where people remain lost in their sin, and the other that leads to life in Christ Jesus. So we might ask the question then, well, what is, what is the failure of confidence in the flesh? Why isn't this just not just bad gospel, but anti-gospel? Because Paul is not just saying here, well, will you guys have a disagreement on your hands? I, I side with these guys, but just try and get on uh, together. He's not sort of saying, well, as long as you've got Jesus somewhere there in the picture, it, it's okay. We, we can live with the differences. He's vehemently against this. He's, he's calling them dogs. It, there's no greater insult. He's calling them evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. So why is he so strong? Well, to explain this, Paul takes us to his own experience, starting there in in verse 4. Look at what he says here. He says, we have no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. Now, he's not, not saying, hey, I've got something to offer. He's saying, look at my life as an example. Look look at my experience before knowing Jesus and now. If you think that is the way to go, I had it all. I I had everything you had and I have even more. And so he refers to to what was his by birth. If you have a look there in verse 5, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He says, well, if, if you think the manner in which you were born and who you were born to counts, I, I had that. Yeah, so I was, I was pure bred Israelite. My parents were Hebrews, tribe of Benjamin, uh, circumcised on the eighth day. I, I had that too. He, he carries on, not just to what he had by birth, but to what he did. Uh, he says, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He says, you want to rely on on, on your works of the law? Look at my life. I did it all. I I was strict in the way that I kept the law. I was was a Pharisee. I had zeal for God. So much zeal, I persecuted the church. I I had a blamelessness by the letter of the law before God. Now, maybe as he says some of these things, that there are some things that we can identify with here. Maybe some boasts or some confidences that we might be tempted to have as well. Maybe at our own birth. Maybe we think, well, I, I was born into a Christian family. Mum and dad were, were Bible-believing, church-going Christian people. I, I, I have come from a long line of, of, of Christian people or or gospel workers, or missionaries. So sure, surely that, that counts for something. Maybe we want to pull out a resume of, of, of things that we've done. I, I've been to church since I was little. I, I was baptized or dedicated. I, I profess my faith. I've served. I've given money. I, I've done all these things. Now, of course, I want to say, make it really clear, that there's nothing wrong with any of these things. In fact, many of them are great blessings. What a great blessing to be brought up in a Christian family. How wonderful to to hear the gospel from being little and and seeing it lived out in your family and in the church. What a great blessing. What a great blessing to have served in ministries and, and gone along to church and given money and been involved in God's work. So what is wrong with it then? What? Jump down to verse 7. Look at what he says. But whatever gain I had. See, this is the problem, isn't it? To consider these things again. To put them on the plus side of the ledger when it comes to God. To, 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 to bundle them all up and to bring them to God and say, hey, God, look look what I bring to you. My birth, my, my privileges, these blessings, my involvement. This is confidence in the flesh. So look at how verse 7 considers, continues. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Later on in verse 8, he calls them rubbish. It's actually a really strong word here. It's like a a heaping pile of garbage that, that stinks. You see, these things aren't just neutral. They're actually a loss when it comes to knowing Christ. It's not just that they don't work, they actually take us further away from Jesus because we rely on them instead of him. One of my, um, my very first cars was a, um, a beat up old uh, Ford Escort uh, that I had when I was a student. It was uh, very little to buy and a lot to repair uh, over the course of its lifetime. Um, but I love my little car. I had a lot of confidence in it, uh, confidence that was many times found to be unfounded. Um, I took it on these wonderful, great adventures uh, to remote places, and uh, on more than one occasion, it failed to get me home. See, see my, my confidence was misplaced, but, but it actually worked against me as well. It, it got me stuck. It, it got me stranded. Now, that's okay when it comes to a beat up old car, isn't it? We, that, that's all right. It's part of life. But it's not okay when it comes to Christ. You see, if, if we've got confidence in the wrong places, in the wrong things, then it's not on Jesus where it needs to be. And so Paul is saying here, be on your guard. That, that, that's what he says in verse 2, isn't it? Look out for these things. Look out for these people. Look out for this teaching. Watch out for things that take you away from Jesus. In Colossians chapter 2, in verse 23, he, he talks about false teaching and he says, these, This indeed has indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. We've got access to all kinds of teaching in our world today, don't we? You know, you you put something in in your Google search and you'll get a a sermon from someone on YouTube. You'll get an article that you can read. and, And some of these can be wonderful. But it can actually also open us up to a world of false teaching. And so everything we read, everything that we listen to, needs to be done through a gospel lens. Does this hold up Jesus and make him the center of our faith and the only hope we have and the confidence we have before God, or does it take me away from him? Not only do we need to think about what comes from outside, we actually need to think about what's in our own hearts too, don't we? Because because we battle these hearts which are tricky things and they want to find hope and confidence in what we do. Now they keep wanting to find these things that we can can wear as badges before God and we can say, look at what I've done. And so we need to watch out not just for what comes from outside but what, what comes from within. That we might be finding a false hope and a false confidence. Because Paul, Paul gives us an alternative here, doesn't he? He gives us the true gospel because he gives us Jesus. Indeed, he says it there in verse 8, he says, I count everything as loss because of the unsurpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. He's saying that there is a better way. And, and all of that falls away into nothing when we know the incomparable, the unsurpassing worth of knowing Jesus. A deep-seated reliance on and love for Jesus as the one who saves us and who saves us completely. And why is Jesus better? We'll have a look at verse 9 here. He says, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He's holding up a better way, isn't he? The, the, the only way. Not, not a righteousness with God that we can accomplish by what we do, but a righteousness that is actually given to us by God, that comes through faith in Christ. Faith in, in Jesus, who was fully obedient all the way to the end, who, who never sinned. Oh, we think think about our own lives. We think if we we're trusting in what we do, if we, we strip away just like the outside and look deep, oh, it's rotten, isn't it? It's it's false. You can't rely on that. But Jesus, no, he, he was perfectly obedient all the way to the end. And when our faith is in him, God credits us his righteous life. He declares us to be right before him. Not only that, Jesus didn't just live for us. He died for us. He suffered in our place. He bore that penalty for our sin that we deserve. That death, that removal from God forever. He bore it on the cross. And he died and he rose again in our place. That's then where our confidence before God comes from. It's in Christ. That's why Jesus is far superior. That's why knowing him is better than anything else. Because of a sure standing before God through faith in him. So what does Paul want to want then? Well, he tells us, doesn't he? He says in verse 10, uh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. What, what, what does he want Want then out of life? Well, he wants to know Jesus and he, he wants to know him more. He, he wants to know the certainty, the security that, that comes from knowing Christ and knowing that our sins are forgiven and we're right with God. He says that there's nothing better then from knowing Jesus deeper uh, in a more real way. He says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. I, I think this is a reference to experiencing the work of the Holy Spirit in our own lives, transforming us or renewing us. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is, is the power that now lives in us. Now, there are lots of things that, that churches might want and churches might strive for. Lots of good things. Maybe we think about our, our goals of, of evangelism. And of growing in holiness and reading the Bible more; these these are all good things. But the fruit, aren't they? The things that flow from knowing Christ more, through His Word, and experiencing His power at work in our lives. Now, be warned. Look at how He finishes in uh, verse ten. He says that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This is still the suffering road to glory. Knowing Jesus more will know more of his way of suffering and death. But by verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is not a vain hope. This is not, you know, maybe somehow I might get there. I think this is a reference to the struggle that there is for this, to know Christ more and to have faith and trust and confidence in him and in him alone. It's a suffering road to glory, isn't it? makes us ask the question, I think, uh, makes us ask, what are we striving for in life? As Christians. What, what's our goals? Uh, what's top of the list here? Maybe there's lots of good things on that list. Very godly things. Uh, but is it the desire to know Christ. And be found in him. And to know the certainty. Of Jesus and his love. And the power of his his death and his resurrection at work in our lives. There's nothing else that comes close, is there? All other striving, all other earning will lead to a false confidence. But Christ, he will strengthen us. It's interesting how this chapter starts. I want to take you back to verse 1. Finally, we'll wrap up here. No, seriously, we will. Uh, he says, finally, my brothers, uh, rejoice in the Lord. It, it seems a little bit strange, out of place here, considering about what he's going to go and say about dogs and mutilators of flesh. Rejoice in the Lord, but I think the emphasis here is, rejoice in the Lord. It's in the Lord, isn't it? So like, where is our joy coming flowing from? Is it flowing from what we do? What we accomplish? No, you say rejoice in the Lord. That That's where your hope is. That's where our confidence is found. Let's pray to him, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have made a way, uh, a perfect way for sinners to be right with you uh, through your Son and our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the good news of the gospel, that it's not by our efforts It's not by our works, but by your grace that we are saved. Lord God, we do want to know this grace and this mercy even more, and we want to know it in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, put this desire in our hearts, uh, this hope, this confidence in him. Lord, that we might turn away from the things that distract us from you and the grace that's found in Christ. We ask this. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Let me close with these words from Ephesians chapter 3, where it says, Now to him he was able to do abundantly more than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus and throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.